are again, the HDPV Alliance, and I know last year you had about 15 members. Can you talk about how the Alliance has evolved, any new members, and just kind of where we are now compared to last year, size-wise? Sure. First, let me thank you for inviting us here and for covering this event. This is an important event for North America and for solar in general, so we really appreciate that you would take the time to include us. Uh, this is Mark Kanjorski from AMP. Last year when we first met, the Alliance launched and we started with about 15 members and we've grown by about 50% since then. I would encourage listeners to this podcast to please visit hdpv.org, some information about the Alliance as well as how to participate. Membership has grown and it's grown really from a commercial need, mostly companies who are interested in joining the Alliance are brought to it by talking to their customers who are interested in the value of each of the products that Alliance members have, products or services. It's been a grassroots growth for the Alliance. And the types of members that have joined since, since we launched span a wide range of participants in the market. For example, distributor, EPC, so those are companies that are very, really service providers, not manufacturers join the Alliance to provide know-how to the market. Also, PV module and software modeling companies helping to model performance systems, as well as most joining the leadership of the Alliance. Ron Pivioli joined since, since last we met, and Robert's here today to participate. We are getting a positive response from, from industry. We're grateful for that. I would expect a few more additions recently, and a few additions of different types of companies that aren't currently in the Alliance as well as some representatives of the type that are already in there. You know part of HDPV's mission to, to future-proof, prepare for the future, and provide more choices for customers. I know you're also looking to increase the performance and decrease cost, too. So does this still kind of sum up your goals, or is it, is it still the, the same approach that you're taking? It, it does. The Alliance has, its mission is to deliver a certain value, and to make sure that that value that is delivered is delivered with standards applied to it. So, uh, David, uh, maybe uh, you want to talk to the, to the value side. Yeah, no, absolutely. You asked if that's our continuing mission. mission. Absolutely, it's because it's the right thing to do. At the end of the day, the goal of the PV industry is to get higher performance, lower cost, and it's a system. It's not comprised of individual components that are not intelligent. They're intelligent nodes. The intelligence is growing. As the complexity of the requirements evolve in North America, similar to European requirements, it's very prudent to have a council of educated professionals to get together with a common goal of saying, well, we can lower the cost, increase the performance of the system. So that mission is not going to change. It will always be this. The other piece of the Alliance mission is where a standard doesn't exist but should exist or could exist to make things easier on suppliers who want to plan their product roadmaps or on buyers who want to understand what their suppliers need to conform to. The key interoperability requirement of HTPV is primarily in the interaction between the, the AMP converter and the operation of the inverters. So the uh, standard was released last year and in the, within the last year I think there's three inverter companies in the alliance, and we all compete with each other, and, and we've all released products to the standard in, in the last calendar year.
Can you talk about how that is, working with your competitors? It's great that you guys are getting along. It seems like you care more about the longevity and, and benefiting the industry as a whole, even if you're competitors. I took that one last year. I could take it again. <laughs> <laughs> I think competition is, is it's amicable, but at, but at the same time, we have to understand that his product that's going to compatible with the interoperability standard is different than his product solution, it's different than Keiko's product solution. So each one of us actually has benefited each other during the competition. There are several times where I'll go into a project. The project doesn't fit necessarily the equipment that I've evaluated to be interoperable to the HTTP standard. One of these gentlemen, I have no problem referring to that project. I think that there's plenty of business to go around. So yeah, there's some competition as we probably have some more of a homogenization around our products and have direct competing products. Not some competition, but there's enough business in the PV industry to make an expected profit. So this is Robert Lenke from Montfioli. Yeah, I think it's also kind of not uncommon if, if you think of standardization generally that yeah, companies from the same sector work together. And I see it also this aspect in HTBV important to drive together some development, some new technology that is really capabilities of, of bringing a benefit to the market in this. Currently, I think also is portfolios of the companies, of the inverter companies are in a certain way also rather complementary than uh, fully overlapping, but nevertheless, competition is definitely also healthy and especially when it comes to introducing something new to the market that also needs to find acceptance and I think having choice is an important factor of, of uh, finding acceptance in the market for by the market, you're still focusing, you know, on the large-scale utility market. Is that kind of, that's where you're seeing your focus stay, and is, is that a place where you can really see the effects of the alliance and standards on the cost? Well, the, the companies at this table cover quite a wide market space. We do cover the largest utility-scale systems, as well as down through the what can be called non-residential or small commercial, large commercial. So there's an application of this distributed power optimization approach that exists at really at least two-thirds of the market. And the reason we're focused on that as a group is because we can meet the most stringent requirements and provide the highest level of benefit. What we expect is that you know, solving those tough problems and providing that value will frankly, find its way into systems of all sizes. But there is no one-size-fits-all in solar, and we're prepared to focus where we can provide the most value. Let's talk about one of those recent focuses. Robert, if you would like to talk about Von Figlioli's you know, new, new HDPD compliant inverter. Can you tell us more about that, Robert? Yeah, since Von Figlioli has joined the Alliance in 2013, we have developed our key product for utility scale market, let's call it our central inverter, into an EMT mode compatible version, uh, which allows actually to increase power rating of the system of up to 50% compared to a conventional PV configuration. So, the, which obviously not only is, is an immediate benefit on, on the cost size and system size availability we can offer with, but it also allows to define power 
PV building blocks of power sizes that have not been reasonable and achievable before. So going to the 3 megawatt and beyond limit with this. So in that way it's really an enabler using amped technology to open up also a new, a new segment for us. Providing the compatibility with another product, you said it can increase performance by as much as 50 percent? It, it's increased the power of the unit. So you're getting more from that device when it's put into the array. It's opening kind of the door to an entirely new system configuration, yeah. which is actually what this technology is all about, no? to bringing down cost, increasing performance on the system level. So you get an individual advantage on the inverter component, but then in the same time, then not only by using M technology, but also by the sheer improvement that you get on this component side, you a different lever to size your individual blocks in the system. Can we talk about system level optimization that goes from all the chains to your string design? Yeah, I want to emphasize something that you said about the blocks. My experience has been most of the EPCs that are existing today are existing today because they figured out how to standardize the utility scale. People think utility scale projects are different, every one of them. To a certain degree they are, but the companies that have been most successful have a standard. And, and, and this, as Robert said, allows his company and his product to offer a very advantageous standardized model. It's a good result. I can actually chime in there. This is Mark from AMP. Standardization for the customer doesn't mean standardization of the product. What we've seen is you put a design block together, an HDPV compliant design block together, and you've spent the time to optimize that design block as suppliers with the customer in mind, and the customer gets a turnkey system or starts with a turnkey system and then modifies it as they like to fit some requirement that they have. And by the way, we're at the cutting edge of this effort. As the Alliance, step one was launch the Alliance, step two was create a standard, which we announced last year. Step three is then product release, and Robert mentioned this, step four is to pre-engineer these design blocks, not for the Alliance, but as suppliers within the Alliance, and really just take some of that effort out of the process for customers while reducing hard costs as well. So by, by standardizing two, do you, it, it's not really like you just have one configuration that will work? It's not. So okay. we, we can do maybe a few examples here. Mm -hmm. So very recently, Balfilioli and AMP worked together to put together a standard two megawatt block and a standard three megawatt block. Our companies work together with balance of system cabling combiner inputs from other members of the alliance to figure out what is the best size of the system to keep the cost the lowest. We want to have the put the most power through the least amount of copper possible on the on the BOS side. We want to have much sizing and prepackaging done ahead of time. Well, another example, and maybe Robert or Steve or both can, can mention this, is a particular market may have a certain optimal system block size. And we recently did some work at both of their companies in Turkey to come up with a tailored solution for that market. It's not a requirement for customers, it's a convenience. To change gears a little bit, we talked about how the Alliance is helping developers source a 2,000-volt system from a 1,000-volt component. So can you kind of talk about what that means and how you're going about doing that? 
Yeah, this is Mark Kamam. Actually, we were invited to give a presentation on that topic at this conference, and we'll be doing one a little bit later in the year as well. Maybe, David, you want to yeah, talk I'll about I'll that? I'll comment on that. I, I don't want to be seen as a pessimist because I'm usually an optimist on almost everything. It took almost eight years to go from 600 volts to 1,000. There's the inverters, there's the cables, there's the jurisdiction codes, then there's all the balances, the disconnects, the breakers, everything. And to, to go from 1,000 to 1,500, yes, we'll still get more of the advantage. Right? But I used to work for a large multinational, multi-billion conglomerate who made all those bits and pieces. They were able to repurpose most of the 600-volt technology for 1,000. You're not going to repurpose the 1,000 for the 1,500. So that's one lever that's going on. And using the amp technology, you can realize that, but use 1,000. And I think it's really important to understand, as the balance of system cost has increased in the system, now you're looking and taking it to another step function with 50 And the one leg that I'd like to mention that I haven't mentioned yet is in the regulatory compliance in terms of the definition of behind the fence. So in 2011 and subsequently in 2014, the definitions for what they call quote-unquote utility scale, which I think is a very misused word, kind of like genius, awesome, wicked, I don't know what it means <laughs> anymore. The definitions for utility scale in 2011 were Everything had to be owned or maintained. None of that exists. All of the quote-unquote behind-the-fence utility-scale projects going in today no longer qualify, and it, no one's pushing this. But I believe, like anything else, an accident is going to happen. Something is going to happen where immediately they're going to go, you're not following the rules. No longer can you have utility-scale. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because you don't have to use UL-listed equipment if you're quote-unquote behind-the-fence utility-scale. And you can go to 1,500. That opportunity is going to go away. The days of the mega 400 megawatt farms, they're going away. I mean, we're going to see lots more 20 to 50 megawatt plants. Getting those to be owned by the utility, on utility land, not happening. None of them are fitting into that correspondence. So, again, somewhat of a pessimistic point of view. I know that there's been a couple companies that have launched 1,500 volt inverters. I say good for them. Let them go break some of that ground. I found a different way which conserves my engineering resources. And when they got that all figured out, I'll join. This is Mark from AMP. The, the different way that David's talking about is rather than move to a 1,500-volt system components, is use 1,000-volt components in this distributed power yeah. format, uh, which really gives you the value proposition of a 2,000-volt system using 1,000-volt graded components and conforming with all code at a thousand volts. So what it is, it's a different way to get to the same value without having to change all of the supply chain of component manufacturers. Um, and it saves a lot of cost. It saves, it saves time, money, and, and by the way, if the industry does move to 1500 volts in some period of time yet to be determined, then one of our challenges as an alliance will be to say, how does that change our standard? Do we need to devise a standard for that purpose? Because ultimately, each of us individually and together will listen to our customers, of course. Is there anything else that the Alliance has been working on for the rest of this year or through next year that you can kind of talk about in relation to the show, too, things you're talking about here? 
we will continue to encourage new members to join the Alliance. Joining the Alliance is free, but it's not costless. And what I mean by that is to join the Alliance, you do have to believe in the distributed power optimization, and you've got to look at your products, if you're a product manufacturer or a service provider, and invest the effort to participate. So we, we do see new members joining. Probably with those new members is a look at standards that may or may not apply to the components they're bringing to the mix of a PV system. Beyond that, I think probably we'll evolve from releasing new products that meet the HDTV compliance standards to devising solutions. So I don't know, maybe Robert, you can quickly mention some of the solutions work. Yeah, the power block solution is something which will require, for example, in defining two megawatt blocks. So the ideal would be to really tell the customer there will be a number of 40-foot containers arriving and everything prepared inside to reassemble to set up your two megawatt farm, which requires then a definition of uh, this solution from, let's say, modules cabling, racking, up to uh, the inverter station. So in, in this way, there is, let's say, a lot of work to do that we are looking forward in, in the HDPVLI. With the new members, it seems like you have a good variety of different kinds of companies. Is there any uh, kind of company you're, you're looking for or any piece that's missing or do you think you have a pretty well-rounded Well, the core of the alliance, around this table you have the companies who are participating really on the power management side. So I think certainly it starts there. Looking forward, I think there's quite a bit of creativity that can be brought to the Alliance in the industry, and for good reason. There's a discussion about storage. Each of these companies is involved in that part of the market, either from a technology or their aspect. Uh, so I, I see possibly some work to be done there. In terms of new members that may be more creative, we do not currently have any financial partners in the Alliance. Companies that bring nothing more than the technology of how to better finance systems you know, recognizing that members in this alliance deliver a system that is lower cost and higher performing, and that generally aligns with the desires of investors or those who bring liquidity to projects. I would love to see a serious financial partner who understands the concept and wants to bring their insights to what right now is a very hardware-focused group of companies. Is there anything else anyone else wants to comment on that I didn't ask about? come to these trade show events no longer about the large booth displaying all the products. It, it's really about with the pace of this market increasing, it's becoming more and more difficult to get the decision makers in one location. And these shows, especially this show, being in this area where say the dominant players on every scale of business are here, getting them in one room and getting them to put some ink on the paper or, or finalize so my expectation coming to a show like this always is to validate what you listened to last time, make sure you're acting on that correctly, and then in turn asking for that business, which is a reward for you. I think having been to these shows since 2003, seeing a dramatic shift towards this being much more of a business-to-business event than a, hey, let's go see what my friend's doing over there who I used to work with. And I think that's a maturation in my comment is we've done multiple technical sessions over the last year at various conferences. Either we're getting better at our presentation or 
it's starting to resonate with the audience in terms of after the presentations are done, they come up and they go, okay, I get it, let's have a meeting. I'm not sure which one it is, Steve from LTI. Hey, this is Mark from Amazon. I haven't been here as long as David, but I've been coming since about 2009. And my observation is that the outlook for renewable solar and the outlook in North America is very bright. And we've got very serious professionals who've been working at this for many years who are increasingly successful because of something David said before, which is they're making commitments and they're delivering on them. As individuals, as companies, and as an industry, we are delivering on our promise. And so I think it's a very positive thing. I've noticed a lot of energy here by buyers and suppliers, which tells me there's enthusiasm for where solar is today and where it's going to go. I, for one, am happy to be part of it. And also, for your listeners, thrilled that they, are, they would take the time to listen to this podcast and learn about what we're doing and hopefully participate. Yeah, as a wrap, name any other industry that has outpaced their cost production projections over the last five years in every major category. EV modules, hamburgers, belts, each component has met or exceeded the cost curves that were overly aggressive over the last five years, every year in a row. PC industry in the 90s, right? Great to hear everything you're doing and you know, doing it as a team, doing it as competitors. Thank you all for the great work that you're doing and thank you so much for being here to, to share all that wonderful insight with me. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.